I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show and I must confess to you there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's Welcome to the Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. I'm Jacob. I'm Victoria. I'm Jamin. <laughs> and I have to say, because last time Jamin said it, I'm so happy to see you all today. I'm glad you're back. Yay. I didn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> He's Wait. been here the whole time. I have, yes. I just hide under the desk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is episode 25, and I believe it is our one-year anniversary since we started this project. Wow, that's amazing. Huzzah! Yes, that is an awful lot of dubious drinks. <laughs> and avocados. Mm-hmm. Oh, but there's more. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, so this episode is set set as we wrap up Egypt by talking about some of its darker deities. Mm. Ooh, heavy alliteration today. I'm liking it. Can I talk about some hell news that's kind of important to me? Oh, please. So, this is a Twitter spat that started today, as far as I know, and I think it touches on a lot of points that have been very important to us, and that is that at some point in time, Tinky Winky, Dipsy, Lala, and Poe sent Little Nas X cover art of his album cover art. If you remember, the lovely picture on the front of Montero is sort of Mr. Nas floating in very um, Garden of Earthy Delights space kind of tossing nude in the breeze. And so the Teletubbies sent him pastiches of that with the four of them floating in Nas space. Whoa, I had no idea. So, okay, so this assumes that the Teletubbies are real. I had never questioned that. And they have access to a post office. Twitter. Twitter, they have access to... (laughs) No, they've got antenna. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm old. (laughs) Where do I put the stamp on this tweet? But the story goes on from there. No, they said to Mr. Noss, can we get a feature in your next album? To which Little Noss X replied, all right, bet. Me and Tinky Winky on the hook, Dipsy and Poe on the verses, and we'll let La do the outro. Oh. Yeah. Is this real? I am telling God's own truth. <laughs> of course it's real. Zooth. To which the Teletubbies responded, awesome, we'll meet you in the studio. So... Potential collaboration between Teletubbies and Los X, making the Twitterverse news. And then the right-wing Republicans got in on the joke. Of course. And uh, a sad little wannabe political person uh, responded, I always knew that the Teletubbies were little gay demons. (laughs) Was it not obvious from the beginning? I had assumed nothing less. And also they're not little. They're like, you know. Yeah, they're massive. Yeah. So I just really like that story. I, I need to look into this, but I'm I'm super excited about it, too. And I'm wondering when the Yo Gabba Gabba Hey collaboration is going to happen now, too. Oh, with the Lost X or the Teletubbies or all three? All three of them. I mean, why limit ourselves? Well, I, I imagine there's going to be some like Teletubbies, the Lost X mashups in the very near future as the Twitterverse takes control of this theme. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the, the palette has already been, you know, it's already similar Yes, so. very colorful. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good news. 
Yeah, there was that story, and then there was the delightful one that's kind of on topic with our more recent drink options and news stories, which is Austin Morticians pouring body fluids into drains. <laughs> yes! That was great. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot much more to say about that, except that nobody told them not to, so they did. Well, no, that was... The, the question was, the journalist asked the water control officers, and they were like, hey, how are you handling morticians pouring bodily fluids down the drain? And the water... People were like, oh, they don't do that. Dot, dot, dot. Oops. Right? <laughs> they don't do that. And it's like, uh, but they are. And now we're still in the middle of this. It's fantastic. Okay. It's a very slow burn story. Well, it's just in time for ACL, so. Mm. <laughs> to the Dillo Dirt incident. So I got a bag of Dillo Dirt, which is supposedly like stuff consolidated from the Austin sludge water lines and things yep. like that. Mm-hmm. And there was like a three pound brick of concrete in there. What <laughs> What do Austinites eat? Kale. That makes sense. I think that means that, that you're a winner. Like you get to... Oh. Did you crack it open next... to see what was inside? Yes, a, lo- <laughs> yeah. a lovely pearl. It's like one of those um, kinder eggs, but concrete and dirt. <laughs> <laughs> the worst kind of kinder egg actually maybe it's like a mummy unwrapping like they're like valuable trinkets inside or finger bones mm, even better so we've talked about sludge embalming fluid and finger bones did anybody bring any lovely food or drink to this party i brought a couple of drinks one alcoholic and then one non-alcoholic so the alcoholic one is the wily coyote It has three-quarter ounces of dark rum, three-quarter ounces of banana liqueur, three-quarter ounces of blackberry brandy, two ounces of pineapple juice, and two ounces of cranberry juice. Doesn't that That, sound refreshing? That sounds kind of fruit punchy, yeah. Yeah, kind of fruity colada sort of thing. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would drink this, but I have to object because none of those fruits grow where coyotes live. That is a very good point. I mean, bananas, coyotes... Mm. Also, I like rum. Why isn't it like mezcal or tequila? I don't want to be. I don't want to be a naysayer. This sounds delicious, but I know. I'll take. I'll take two. <laughs> I feel like coyotes. Like we understand a certain kind of coyote, but maybe in the world of coyotes, there's. Tropical coyotes. There's a tropical mm. coyote, and also, I mean, what we know of coyotes is not exactly canon. I mean, I on the other side, and I'll argue for this one, too, this sounds so delicious and so trusting that it will do you wrong. It's like, oh, bananas and blackberry. This delightful drink couldn't possibly hurt me. I'll have another thank you. And I think that is the, the Wiley Coyote connection. Yes, yeah. Then and it's like an Acme yeah. anvil. Exactly, exactly. It's like painting a door in a wall and thinking, like, because the train went through it, then you can too. I will no. run. I will run full speed at this wall, uh-huh. and probably mm-hmm. wake up without my wallet. So, what was it that you, you said? Something, something really d- like trusting. It's a trusting drink. Yeah, <laughs> it's the bananas lure you to false security. Mm-hmm. It is a very trusting drink, much like Wiley Coyote, and he continues to trust all of his Acme products. Yes, yes. So, the non-alcoholic drink for all the people who don't drink alcohol, I brought. A Pepsi. <laughs> Wait, can can you expand on this? 
In a bottle or a can? <laughs> is this a, this is a, a snake joke? Okay, this is an Opep joke. <laughs> okay, there was a hang time there. <laughs> and scene. How droll. <laughs> well played. <laughs> I brought some entertainment. Oh? Being up to our knees in an icy marsh with the rest of the chatty and forced to do battle with hypocrites. Which just wow. sounds like Sunday to me, I think. I, know, I was going to yeah. say, that's a work meeting. Yeah. But luckily, there's no icy marshes in Texas. Yet. E- except February's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I had two choices. Um, I went with avocado fries. They're battered and fried. Oh, those are good. Those are yeah, really no, good. They're amazing, but they've got lemon garlic aioli dipping sauce. Which okay. Yum. Right? Yeah, no complaints. That sounds perfectly reasonable. The The one I didn't choose was the avocado marmalade, mm. which was made with chia seeds. And I was like, no, uh, We saw that. We saw that it was horrible. I have limits. Chia is the limit. So We've talked about this. Yeah. Chia is indeed the limit. I had an image of the avocado fries singing with their mouths at both ends because... <laughs> What? <laughs> well, I was just doing like, Why? The, like the worms. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to unpack this. So, fried <laughs> avocados singing at both ends like the worms. Yes. Well, last week's was the two headed worms, right? Oh, okay. Okay. And Sorry. Been kind of a leap motif. <laughs> I dislike okay. that you've made my avocados hermaphroditic. Well, oh. they they could have they could be highly gendered two-headed <laughs> singing avocados. <laughs> it's some new sense of the word gender that has not been unpacked by scientists or Twitter. I dislike that you've gendered my avocados. Oh well, my gosh. Oh dear. <sighs> Okay. All right. Let's 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 pull it back, people. Let's pull it back. <laughs> let's just let's just dip things in lemon garlic aioli and move on. All righty. I'm okay with that. So, are we starting with cosmology or apep? I thought this was about Seth. Well, it's kind of the baddies, and they're they're related. Mm-hmm. I don't see how he was a bad guy. I mean, honestly, he was just the third kid Eve had, replaced the one that got killed. Um, he's just regular old Seth. Like, there's nothing special about him. Once I again, I, I feel like pointing out that Wikipedia has disambiguation links. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. And considering that's the only place we do our research, we should learn how to use them. <laughs> that's right. And he, he also didn't animate the family guy. I know that's going to be disappointing to you. Um, but I wonder, should we start with what is evil in this world or... Is there such a thing as evil in this world? I think that's a fair question. Why not start with a light topic? <laughs> no, because I think that's really important to understand that, you know, there is this sense of Seth being evil and Osiris being good. But what does that actually mean? I want to tie this to Dungeons and Dragons. Please do. I will. So, if you've played Fourth Ed Dungeons and Dragons, if you've played Fourth Ed Dungeons and Dragons specifically, they realign the entire cosmology and alignment thing so that it wasn't chaotic good and neutral good and whatever, whatever. It was lawful good, good, neutral, 
evil and chaotic evil. Um, and for the most part, the idea of demons was demons were set aside as uh, not just part of the grand divine plan, like the circle of realms and things like that. Because at first at D&D, demons were just kind of another branch of the nine alignments and another form of divinity. In fourth ed D and D, you can't see me gesturing. In fourth ed D and D, they it's glorious. Yes, they are opposed to all divinity. Um, they are their own thing, bent on destroying the entire world. So you've got demons that are more evil than the evilest of the gods. And I think that that kind of idea was probably informed by Egyptian more. Uh, that was that kind of idea was probably informed by Egyptian mythology, because you have a situation where Seth is sometimes evil, sometimes very evil, sometimes just a trickster, sometimes a goofball. Uh, but he's no matter what he is, he is allied and seen as allied with the gods against Apep until very late in his cycle when he becomes more affiliated with Apep himself, itself, herself, themselves, themselves. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think that all makes sense. I also think the fact, you know, an important thing to consider is the difference between, is it Mott, M-A, that, and Met, and uh, the um, is, Isfet, so order versus chaos. Isfet is chaos? Yes. So it is essentially like injustice, chaos, violence, or to do evil. So the two are constantly like having to be balanced in this universe. And the role of a pharaoh is to to promote Met over uh, Isfet. Okay. And so the problem, one of the problems with Seth when he was a leader is that he did not do that. So he let things kind of descend into chaos and disorder. Yeah. And see, that's, that's, I want to go back because we're saying four sets of words and we're, we're kind of conflating them. Evil and chaos aren't necessarily the same thing. Exactly, yeah. They they mm-hmm. can be. That depends on what edition you're playing. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's like... Your your raison d'etre, your reason for being, is my purpose for existing to ruin other people's lives, that is to be evil, or to have as much fun as possible, that is to be chaotic, right? Mm-hmm. Am I anti-God or pro-me? That's the difference between chaos and evil. And also, I would say, yeah, like, chaos, I mean... If you think about, we'll we'll talk more about the trickster figure, but a trickster figure is not necessarily evil, just their whole point is to sow disorder. And so, so they're the bringers of both fire and death, you know, because sometimes like the fire brings wisdom, but also like as they're bringing the fire, you know, something wacky happens and an entire village burns up. So, and that's just, that's, you know, that's just Loki. Um, so Set seems to exist in a series of like nested binaries because mm. on the one hand he's just the opposite of Osiris mm-hmm. northern kingdom southern kingdom sort of thing or he's just the opposite of Horus uh, good pharaoh king versus king of the wilderness uh, civilization versus not civilization 
that was weak. And then sometimes he's the dynamic god of thunder, who's kind of the the Thor-esque god of manly manliness, and the strongest god on the barge, able to blast Apep apart. And or sometimes he gets better the next day. Apep does. He always does. And in that case, he's like allied with the gods against chaos. And then sometimes later on in the cycle, he's really like alone against the entire pantheon as the god of foreigners and the god of the desert. The entire pantheon is the gods of civilization kind of allied against him. So like where he is and what set of this nested set of order, disorder, harmony, imbalance he's in, it varies widely. Mm-hmm. But see, Apep is the serpent of chaos. Yes. Who is uh, repelled, gesture, by Set. Yes, Sish. He sometimes he dies in a lot of ways, um, frequently. Sometimes he doesn't actually die. Sometimes he actually succeeds, but not often. So I guess Apep... Well, we're not really done with order disorder here as a as an idea yet, quite, I'm feeling. So what is evil in this cosmology? Hmm. I don't think it exists. I think it is just... I think there's order and then there's disorder... And everything is, all of the rituals, the burden of leaders, the, the um, weighing of the heart is all based on order versus disorder. Yeah, it's like there's a little bubble that we're creating to kind of push back disorder for a few more days. Mm-hmm. And you can't really, because order and disorder are flip sides of the same hodgepodge. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, if you're building a civilization, order is not just being an order, but a progression of adding order and expanding the order of your civilization, right? You're, you're building, you're adding bigger roads, more buildings. Order is a progression, whereas disorder is a regression, where if you don't maintain the roads, they fall apart. Yeah. Mm. It's you're you're always holding back that bubble. And order is predictable and a lot of what is considered evil is unpredictable or um out of bounds or considered out of bounds behavior. So the fact that Seth is can be kind of all of these things at once He's not predictable. He kind of goes rogue, even though, you know, he predictably rides the bark and fights Epep every night. There's still aspects of him that are completely unpredictable and um, uncontrollable, including Mm. his sexuality from some of the articles I saw. So, um, you know, he sort of behaves in a way that is counter to polite society and the predictability and you know, the sort of uh, standards, accepted standards of polite society. And also, you know, it explains the sort of order disorder binary explains natural um, occurrences that are frightening. So an earthquake, an unpredictable earthquake, well, that's, that's a pet because, you know, that again, an agent of chaos is shaking the earth and 
Seth and a pet fighting, that's a thunderstorm. And so there's a way of kind of controlling like what seems chaotic and unpredictable through declaring it this sort of evil um, force in the world. That's that's a great point, because in like Acadia Sumerian mythology, we, we talked about how we're defining natural elements as the gods. And this is very, very old Egypt. And I was like, you know, oh, well, they've all got civilizations and pyramids by now. We're past this. But no, old, old, like, it's the same. It's like, we have just pulled ourselves out of the desert onto the Nile. We don't know what these earthquakes or thunderstorms were. So we, let's, let's ascribe to them forces. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Is that they, they, they're the same as everybody else. Right. And hmm. even humans are given the same grace because in the heart weighing, you don't have to be entirely good. You just have to have a balance. And so just constantly m- maintaining that balance is the, you know, that is the, the challenge both above and below um, ground. A, a major function of the preset was to uh, cast out Apophis. This is like a big thing. There was like daily rituals for cast for banishing the serpent, always cast right around dawn when he was at his most dangerous. Mm-hmm. And some of the better ones. There's a book of there's a book of overthrowing Apophis. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which basically has one spell in it, which is make a little wax poppet of your enemies and spit on them and jump up and down on them. <laughs> I love that. There's a the the names of the chapters. What was it? Um. Spitting upon a pep, defiling a pep with the left foot, taking a lance to smite a pep, defiling a pep, defiling a pep with the right foot. <laughs> no, taking a knife to smite a pep, and then oh. putting fire upon a pep. Poor a pep, him get melted. <laughs> Are there? Has anybody seen this? Are there diagrams uh, of uh, banishing a pep? Yeah, like uh, like sort of the IKEA. Like there's the little IKEA guy with like a little question mark <laughs> standing in front of like this wax figure, and there's like an X that. through his right foot. <laughs> Actually, like all of Western occultism should be done in that style. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's pictograms. You don't need to be able to read to banish a pep. <laughs> well, let's do. I feel like okay, so we've got the Mad Libs, and now we're going to do IKEA Book of the Dead. <laughs> Well, here's a question. So, he was... So, Ra was born. Yes. Ra's, well, um, depending. Well, born. However, Stepped you Stepped know. out of the mud. <laughs> so, Ra came to be. Oh, yeah. And yet, he had... So, he must have been born because he had an umbilical cord. Yeah. Right? According to, to biology, uh, if we believe in science, then... A pep was formed from that umbilical cord. I'll buy that. And this somehow <laughs> relates to Eve, or let's, I don't know if we want to keep calling it e- evil in quotes, being its free will, right? Well, Apep was, was evil. I mean, he was the end of all things. This is like cosmic annihilation level evil here. So, okay. He's, yeah, we could, he's, he's, he's Hitler. That's safe to say. Okay, because I, I saw somewhere that that somehow that a, because a pep was formed from the umbilical cord, that meant that 
choosing chaos versus order was an individual choice. Like you, that was that was the consequences of an individual's action. I'm not sure if I got the connection between the umbilical cord and free will. Free will. Yet, <laughs> yet several. I saw, saw it several places. Well, now you're assuming, of course, that Ra, that the snake was born from Ra's umbilical cord, which is just one interpretation. There's another one that when Ra stepped out onto the muddy hill and said, oh, world, uh, Apep was already there uh, scheming as uh, an unruly chaos beast and just hated Ra for having created duality. And that's why they fight. <laughs> that makes perfect sense, because... The world before civilization was chaotic, and if we create civilization, the first of us to step foot on the world is, oh, look at this thing which is already here and hates me. Mm-hmm. But hmm. there's a, another story that Epep is a sun god, and Ra took his place. Oh, rude. Ooh. Yeah, and that's why he's a very angry snake. Is that the one where Isis makes a snake out of saliva? Did you see that one? <laughs> it just sounds like something she'd do. It was to get the secrets of the sun from Ra because oh. he needed to be like he was getting kind of doddering. And so she made a, a snake out of his saliva and the snake bit the sun. And since the sun hadn't born the snake, then it couldn't recover so the only way to be healed was for Ra to tell Isis the secrets. Hmm. So she told them to Horus. Yeah, she would. Mm-hmm. Because Horus is like, you know, her her he's a mama's boy, so I I do not like the way Horus treated poor Seth. No one does. No yeah. one does. <laughs> Especially Seth. Uh-huh. Poor Seth. Uh, Apep was kind of a late arrival to the mythology. Like the earliest texts that mention him are like 2000, 2050 or so. So he's actually kind of post-dates Osiris, post-dates a lot of things. And uh, so he's kind of, I mean, there's, it's an unruly chaos beast. There's probably an antecedent of some sort, but like actually being named in the, named in the mythology, he's, he's fairly young. So is he, are, are, are famous sandworms through history and pop culture all based on a pet? I imagine so. He's got that <laughs> primal worm thing happening. I'm, uh, has anybody done a thesis on this? They should. I'm sure somebody has somewhere. Yeah, you know, from yeah. from Apep to to Beetlejuice. Doing. So can we do an episode on worms soon? Oh yeah, let's do a worm up. It may be a it may be a it may be another multi parter. I feel like may, there's a maybe lot a two of... a two header. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, this is going to be exciting. I'm squirming just thinking about it. Seth. Next, are we there? Are we done with evil? Well, I'm sure we'll come back to it. Okay. Wait, is Seth evil too? Seth is sometimes evil. Well, when your basic binary is order versus disorder, Seth falls pretty firmly in the disorder camp. Mm Mm-hmm. So now we can talk about how he was born. So what I saw, and I mean, Jamin referenced this as well. Incorrectly. uh, (laughs) Tor himself... Out of his mother's side. Okay. So my question is, is this somehow related to the saying, like, the th- a thorn <laughs> his mother's side? Like, I instantly went to Rocky Horror and Eddie 
and Dr. Scott saying he was the thorn in his mother's side, but it's sounding like he was torn from his mother's side. So I'm positing that Eddie in Rocky Horror is in fact Seth. Um, I want to argue against this so much, but I have nothing to base anything on. So I see the point. You win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put that aside for now. So Set tore himself from his mother's side. It was mm-hmm. the opening of the womb, and mm-hmm. this phrase is used in this story a couple of times, where. It could either be the beginning of fertility, for the beginning of fertility. In other words, if a womb was barren, he opened it, because there's a lot of cursing of wombs in this story, right? Or I say a lot, at least two. But then a lot of the actual scientific conjecture is it times itself with miscarriage, and miscarriage again is 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 a thing which happens in the world which we don't understand because we haven't invented science yet. And therefore, let's attribute it to the evils, right? But if we have a child of miscarriage who survives, because surviving death is apparently a big thing in ancient Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. The green-faced one who died, who was that? That was um, Osiris. Oh, yeah, yeah, him, Osiris. (laughs) Osiris died, (laughs) Set died, or was born dead, but then became, like, greater than all of this. It's, It's... like, the origins of this are kind of interesting because a lot of theology bases itself in reality and the reality we don't understand. Thunderstorms, earthquakes, bees, right? What are those things? They just, they bug. Did you say bees? Bees. We still don't know what they are. <laughs> I wonder if anybody in Egyptian mythology was just born. Like, is that is that is that so wrong? <laughs> no, they couldn't have been. I don't know. I, Horus comes close, except for his zombie father. Well, here's a question. So, thinking about the different forms of birth that we have, you know, what is what is so called natural and what is so called unnatural? Because according, like in a, in this mythology, Osiris and all the births happening there, as unnatural as they are, are kind of seen as like, no, those are natural ordered births. No. I will not accept that. Well, I will... I, hear me out. Hear me out. Like I'm not <laughs> saying they are, but in the you know Seth's like world, you know, either he was born dead, he ripped himself out of his mother's womb, he engages in gay sex, and so in many articles that I read, problematically said that that's a mark of a you know that's supposedly a mark of a trickster in many many cultures, and so he's kind of this anomaly and. In uh, Egyptian culture, and then also that he also had sex with the seed goddess, who was yeah. the the personification or the the personification of of semen, and so like there are all these almost like you know like Seth keeps like he's doing everything kind of chaotic like that that's chaotic chaotic uh, reproduction versus what is considered. <laughs> ordered where a kite flies around a dead body and gets hmm. pregnant kind of like a divine id almost he's just kind of crazy right. drive. It's just like spreading seed you know opening up wombs and so the fertilities happen in different ways so there's two things i want to add one again mythology is based in reality 
right? We're living our lives and we're... Uh... Yes, we're living our lives and we're explaining what happens to our boring lives by assigning them to mythos, right? Uh... Earthquakes happened. <laughs> hey, Jacob, why did that earthquake happen? Well, that was Uncle Freddy downstairs. A thousand years later, Uncle Freddy is a dandy, right? There, there are... Egyptian myths that were created specifically to make things more complicated. So I'm not sure. <laughs> right. But and the other part of it is we have to remember to look at Egyptian mythology through the Greek lens because all of this has been touched and tainted and retold by the Greeks who have their own thing. So it's like maybe they didn't have all this weird being born from the head of a coin touching broccoli, right? Maybe. Maybe Set was just a regular old nerd, and it wasn't until, you know, we lost the story and the Greeks retold it that he became, like, super magical. Well, there were, like, 3,000 3, years of legends to Crete around yeah. him, so all these things, we get kind of the hodgepodge at the end of it of, like, these elements kind of coming together. Hmm. So, who knows what stories were told about him over the course of 2,000 years, and a lot of contending. Mm-hmm. There was some serious contending going on. Broadly, he was the god of deserts, storms, mm-hmm. disorder, violence, strength sometimes, and foreigners. Yeah. And mm-hmm. being the god of foreigners did not go well for him long term. No, no, it did not. And, well, this is kind of delving into what we probably will talk about in a few minutes, but should we talk about what Seth actually is physically? Because it relates to the whole foreigner's desert. Yeah. What, like mm-hmm. the Shah? Are we talking about the Shah now? Yes. So the Seth animal? The Seth animal. I love that that's a thing. The I Seth animal. Or mm-hmm. the Typhonic beast. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the Greek demon. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But let's mm-hmm. just call it the Shah if we can remember to, because it's short. So does that connect it also to Baal? Not yet. He gets okay. there eventually, but I don't think... There. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but Baal's very human. So, or or ball is a bull, right? Okay, a, a bull ball. <laughs> so the Shah is used in like a lot of Egyptian hieroglyphics as the marker of chaotic stuff and suffering, but is a very common hieroglyphic for this. Pretty much representing the idea of just being associated with chaos. Pretty pretty common one. It's a cute little beastie. I, I kind of want one for a pet. Yeah, he's got ears. It's got it's got little square ears and. Um, a little stoot that goes that goes boop downwards. <laughs> a forked tail. That's kind of weird. Sometimes it's been associated with dogs, fennecs, aardvarks, donkeys, piggies, and flamingos. And hippopotamuses. Oh, and hippopotami. Yes. Yeah. It's got square ears, just like a hippopotamus, and looks absolutely nothing like the rest of it. To the best of my knowledge, hippopotamus have little round ears, don't they? They do. In ancient Egypt, they were square. Oh, that's because they had them docked. <laughs> that's right. But you know what else? You know what else? It could also be a giraffe. Because they had little pokey things. Exactly. The little pokey things and the yeah. tail. And the neck. The neck is kind of a standout. Maybe they evolved the neck over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but two things that people think the Shah is more likely or quite likely is, I mean, besides just being uh, an imaginary camera thing, a Saluki, because mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they have the kind of the downward snouts too, a little bit, not quite that extreme. Or an African wild dog, which has the ears 
and the pointy uppy tail because the pointy uppy tail is very important that's part of the look of the thing as well i meant to look up what a saluki was so it's a sandwich (laughs) yum (laughs) geographically both of those critters would be appropriate right Uh, um the saluki is like the oldest hunting dog okay Mm mm-hmm and the African wild dog, I mean, that intersects with Egypt pretty well, I underst- I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was very excited about the fennec fox. I, I don't see the connection. Well, they've got stiff little tails that go up. And the, the fox ears are, those those fox, the fennec fox ears are really big. They yeah. are huge. I was, I was intrigued, but I didn't quite buy it, let's say. I've got to look up a name. Salukis are cute. Mm-hmm. I want one. A theory proposed by Sir Ernest Alfred Thompson Wallace Budge, and therefore probably false, is that the Typhonic Beast was a hodgepodge of parts that don't really exist in nature so much, like nothing really has that snoot. Those are not very common ears. And definitely nothing has a forked tail, as far as I know, and definitely should not exist in the same creature. But together it forms an image that fits pretty well with Egyptian art that can be stylized to look like it blends in with the other gods. So it's a chaotic beast for a chaotic god that does not violate the Egyptian artistic principles. That is super interesting. Yeah, because you're limited in how you represent your deities in your world by your artistic principles or abilities or... Well, and the shorthand, like that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have your own symbol set. And so what can be represented by your symbol set? I like There's that. Not, yeah. Um, but I think the jury is out on whether the Shah is a critter that does not exist anymore, or it's a representation of a critter that did exist or does exist, or it's just a mishmash. And the Egyptians don't tend to leave very detailed records about things that are not mummies. <laughs> it's true. Um, I don't know. It makes me think about just uh, you know travel travel literature. Oh yeah, and the kind of a lot of a lot of the you know pieces of travel literature were written by people who had never who did not go to that place, but they just drew what they thought was there. <laughs> So, or, you know, what other people had told them was there and they kind of, you know, did it like, okay, so it's got a neck and these big eyes and a foot. Okay. Uh, so. Seth is a few times referred to as the red dog. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of makes me think African wild dog as well. They're kind of reddish brown in places or maybe a hyena, but that's wishful thinking. I like hyenas. Yes. Mm hmm. Well, I wonder, I mean, the Seth is red because he's also associated with Mercury, right? Cinnabar. Maybe. Um, he's, red because he's, associ- he's red because he's opposed to the black soil of the Nile Valley. Mm-hmm. And so he's the red of the desert. And I think that that's kind of a binary image of the, the black soil and the red soil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is the desert red? I thought it was kind of a tan uh in stories i don't know hmm. um but also red is just kind of a color of it's got it's got a specific meaning in egypt happiness 
No, that's China. It's bad because the Egyptians tended to kill people with red skin and animals with red fur. Oh. There was a sort of bias against red. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. That sounds very Irish. (laughs) So, wait, wait, back up. (laughs) (laughs) Unpack this for me. So, I just caught that, that the soil of the Nile was black. And he was red. Does yes. that mean that, like, the soil is fertile and he is unfertile? Like, Yes. Actually, I think that's implied. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with his testicles were ripped off and that he kept doing things that didn't work out for him, reproductively speaking. So this is something everyone figured out except me. No, I think it's worth bringing up. Okay. Yeah. But also... I had a question about the whole red thing because of its association, like its negative association. Um, there was some connection to mercury and that because of the negative associations, the killing of people with red skin, the killing of animals with red fur. I can get the animals with red fur because you do have red pandas. Oh, God, those bastards. <laughs> exactly. I know. this. <laughs> they're awful. And... Um, uh, but who has, who are the people with red skin that they're killing? I don't think there were any. They were just that. regular white people that got sunburned. <laughs> oh yeah, they they do. Okay, you don't have your suntan lotion. Are you talking Those are just foreigners in general? Like anybody who was not Egyptian is like, you know, marked as as I don't, evil. I, I don't think the color coding is is goes to the people so much. Or possibly that there used to be a red-skinned race, but the Egyptians killed them all. None left. Um, I, subject of David Icke's new book. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> red Lizard Dawn. <laughs> Are you talking Mercury the element or Mercury the star? Uh, the, the planet, which I guess would count as a star, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The planet. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not Mercury, which also kills plants. When you pour it on them. No, not the right. I don't know because that's silver. Well, but, but the, the, the the red planet. But mm-hmm. cinnabar, cinnabar ore is red and that yeah. contains mercury. So there's an association, but I think this is a stretch. I don't know. Okay. I'm not, I don't really understand the mercury association, except you have to associate things with things. Hmm. But also that could be a connection to the demonic, how Seth became considered a demon or was aligned with the demonic eventually the mercury association yeah or well, just the red oh yeah now the red was just kind of part of his evil look mm-hmm. yeah i think that's just kind of part of i mean there's so much he's got the snoot <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a lot there's a, he's a lot he's a lot yeah. um let's see one image i like of seth is the is the kind of the god of solitude like he's alone in the desert mm-hmm. as you go down his mythic road towards like 500 when he's not entirely demonized but definitely like not mainstream anymore he sort of becomes like something outside the pantheon and this is just part of being the god of the desert and the god of foreigners he's also the god that's alone when your entire cosmos is built up around society and harmony the god of solitude sounds like a really dangerous individual yeah, yeah, I saw something about that too. That there was kind of no, that was also a connection to like the rise of Christianity. That there 
yeah, that that's a that there can be no kind of lonely solitary gods. Yeah, he like that in itself is weird and problematic. He who survives without civilization, right? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, we need each other to survive, but he can do it on his own. Therefore, yeah, he's the desert god. What an outcast. Hmm. Which is also chaos, right? Like, you're sort of eschewing the order of society. You're going into the chaos of the wilderness and the chaos of of solitude. Hmm. This is a, a real linguistic stretch, and I don't even I can't even remember who cited it, but some someone was arguing. It was seen as a discussion of the origin of the name El Shaddai. El Shaddai is a very positive word for the Christian God. Uh, it's kind of got maternal elements. And this person's argument was that it's very easy to flip things into their opposites, which is where the word Shedim comes from. And possibly the S-H-T sound also carries from Seth or Seth. I haven't heard anybody else back that one up, but it's an interesting idea. Ah, okay. Okay. I think I get it. (laughs) So I went down kind of a rabbit hole about tricksters and... I'm not entirely sure about the um, um, the academic rigor of some of the trickster literature that I looked at, but there was one of the one of the people who is cited in a lot of other um, sources on tricksters. H. Develt, a, a Dutch Egyptologist, um, mentions the words that Seth is associated with in hieroglyphs, and they are all the words of you know, order and disorder and confusion. Confusion is one. And through that, sort of a, like he becomes the embodiment of those words, those concepts, linguistically. Yeah, words, words are the thing here. Mm-hmm. Chaos, suffering, violence, perturbation, storms, a tempest. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Mm-hmm. That was that was my list of words I got from set. Very good. <laughs> yeah, so if we were to have a worksheet on this, we could oh, have a no. word font <laughs> of all the words that are associated with set, which I think we should do. I I think that we need to eventually get to the sex scenes. Oh, what? well, do you want to start like how do we get there? Should we go through tricksters or should we go through I mean if we're okay with jumping there now? I say we just read the literature. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So the divine person of Seth said to the divine person of Horus, how beautiful are your buttocks? How vital? (laughs) Stretch out your legs. And the person of Horus said, well, this is the short version. I like the longer version better. (laughs) Seth said to Horus, come, let us spend a pleasant hour at my house. Horus answered with pleasure, with pleasure. And then an evening his bed was spread for them and they lay down. And during the night, Seth, uh, Mm, I can't quite do this and keep my work safe rating. <laughs> well, anyway, they did a thing. And uh-huh. then uh, and then Horace freaked out, went to his mother and said, help me, come and see what Seth has done to me. Oh, no. And it's just really tacky. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're, you're cute. Yeah, you're cute. Okay, let's go do a thing. Come on, we'll go to my place. Okay, mom. It's <laughs> <laughs> so- not very, not very kingish, I think. So was this the uh, which which uh, was this the contendings? Oh, it's all contendings, really. When you get right down to it, there's like eighty years of contendings. 
Okay, that's right. That's right. Or is it the um, the Plutar- Is it the Plutarch telling he does he his is in his body? No, I don't. Uh, this one is a Middle Kingdom version, I think. But it's nice that they're kind of, there's kind of like a consensual element. That's kind of neat because you, it's a little bit rapey later on. But um, I don't know. The issue seems to not be so much that Horace was raped by Seth, but that Horace was on the bottom. And that's a problem for Mr. Horace and for like all of Greek civilization as well. Because yeah. that's very inferior and not a place for the pharaoh to be. That's a really good point. Yeah, the optics are bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Isis said to him, beware, do not talk to him about it. When he mentioned to you it's another time, then you shall say to him, it's too painful for me, and you're heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Is that really in the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't hold you up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't realize it was so graphic. I'm alighting as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a question. So why then... If it, I mean, we're not really sure if it's consensual or not, but why then, if it seems consensual, is Horace, like, Horace not then put in the trickster slash deviant slash demonic category? Because Seth certainly is. Um, I mean, Seth has other sex stories as well, like him going to rape Isis and then running around spooging on the ground for some reason like a dog I don't know it's a complicated story for a complicated world then the whole lettuce thing there's like a there's a lot of Seth sex stories and possibly more that I just don't have access to right now I should google this at work Um, I think you should I think you should so but the lettuce thing was Horus yeah that was a Horus story Mm-hmm. So again, it's just like, it's like one glyph away. Like why, you know, why is Horus not considered in the same vein as Seth when they are actually two sides of the same coin, essentially? I think that's part of it is they are opposites. So whatever Seth is, Horus is, is not. And and some some of this is kind of usurping authority, meddling with the dynastic order. Like if you can prove that you're on top of the pharaoh god, then probably you're more important than the pharaoh god. And Seth was king for a while during the like interregnum, so a lot of the contendings are about like who is going to be king of the world sometime soon. Seth does not make a very good king. A lot of the sex stuff is kind of framed in terms of domination, of who it has semen in whom, and <laughs> what that means in terms of their place in the like hierarchy of, of whatever. Like Seth is wandering around. Later on, Seth says, oh yeah, I did him like a warrior, and just kind of brags about his conquest. That's, that's what triggers at least one version of the singing sperm story. <laughs> I don't know. I like the singing sperm story. Yeah. I mean, it cries out for sound effects. Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but thinking about just sort of all of the different things that are attributed to Seth and what kind of makes him like a trickster or a demon. And there seems to be kind of a fine line between those two, mm. even though a trickster is never tr- truly evil, but a trickster can cause evil to happen. So they can be the agents. Not for- not evil, b- 
but perhaps unwell, right? Right. Disorder. Yeah, disorder. So, like, a bad thing. A village may have died, but the outcome of their death was everyone else learned about fire and fire safety. So it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't evil. It was just consequences. Right, right. Which kind of fits into the whole idea of personal <laughs> of free will as well. But um, there's still this sense of like the trickster figure. Like if humans have some modicum of free will, it's still the trickster figure that's messing with that. Like pushing the limits of humans' free will right. by tempting them or leading them astray or giving them things that they aren't capable of really managing. And so they're kind of a conduit of these, not only like of of experiences essentially for humans to grapple with. Hmm. I'm sorry. I was looking for Horace and Seth sex scenes. (laughs) Of course you are. But uh, just thinking about, you know, the, all of the, the different cultures that have trickster figures, the attributes of a trickster figure tend to be things like shape-shifting mm-hmm. and being a, a situation inverter. Like, you think things are okay, and then suddenly something happens, right? Right, right. The- and um, somebody who's an imitator of a god, who kind of plays a god on TV, a gatekeeper to another world... And a messenger, like so. So the kind of liaison between the gods and the gods and humans, mm. but also in some of the literature, you know, homosexuality or sort of gender fluidity is a marker of a of a trickster. That and one that one threw me because, like, the story about the spider god, the West African spider god Anansi, and the the American. Uh, coyote is it's less gender fluid and more cross-dressing for humor <laughs> right mm-hmm. which i mean we're looking at this through a lens of of millennia and culture gaps but i, I find it hard to believe there wasn't at least one contending where seth ended up in a dress yeah i think there has prob- to be probably two or three of them in different versions mm-hmm like there's a, you know, it's kind of a Pepe Le Pew situation. <laughs> but I guess a lot of, there are traditions that there are trickster figures who are sort of, yeah, like non-binary, let's say, or open to open to all experiences. Right. So, I mean, if you think about like, like Loki as a, as a comparable figure or some of the, the other Native American, more human sort of trickster figures... There's sort of a, a sexual openness. I mean, it was just one time with Odin's horse. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to bring that up again? But it's, it's I don't know, like I found, I found it problematic how focused some of the trickster literature was on the sexual, like how focused they were on the sexuality as being this kind of marker of like this liminal boundary hmm. you know figure without boundaries i can't back this up but i'm going to say a lot of the introductory research into psychology and sociology and tying culture to religion 
was done by the Germans in the 17 and 1800s, and the Germans are notoriously unfun and asexual people. So therefore, if they found it weird, they're going to document it and they're going to build their science on it. So, or were they protesting too much? I mean, that, you know? that's possible. It's like, oh, these oh. these weird people. Yeah, this, this, the sex stuff tends to transcend time and space. It's the most fun to talk about, apparently. Unless you're German. <laughs> or, especially if you're German. Oh! <laughs> you know, they, they have a 14-syllable word for sex with lettuce. Okay, now that you've said that, you have to tell us. I, I, I can't. I, I just can't. <laughs> Is that because you don't you 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 can't spracke the Deutsch or you just made it up? I just made it up. <laughs> so then you could just say anything. Yeah, but I don't I don't Deutsch enough. <laughs> Can we talk about ball? <laughs> oh, I guess so. I just I do want to I do want to point out though. Yes. That some other. I know something that also needs to be discussed is whether or not, and this may come, this this may need to be talked about later, but was Seth heroic in killing Osiris? Was that necessary evil or was it a prank gone horribly, horribly wrong? I, I feel, Which, yeah, that's, there's this kind of a metatextual question there because you're telling a story about a renewal it's a renewal story of you know death, pharaonic rebirth, and the guy who becomes the entire foundation of mummification. And like Osiris is not an old god; he's like a twenty-five hundred-ish god. He was created the like the first major mention of him is in the Osiris myth. Hmm. So he was created to die. That's why I use Mufasa for my picture of him in the post show posts. <laughs> so. I mean, I don't think that necessarily Seth is a hero in this, but he's got a part to play, and that part is that Osiris was created to die, so that his son, the pharaoh, can be reborn, mm -hmm. or born in the first place. It's a necessary part of a story. And uh, Egyptians did not have any problems with maintaining a lot of different identities for their gods and a lot of different parts, so one Seth story was this death of Osiris thing. Another Seth story, which is a later story, actually more year 2000, or even later than that, after this, after supposedly he was demonized, is the Barge of Ra, where he's kind of the hunky god of strength that says, oh, okay, y'all stand behind me, I've got the Spear of Destiny, or something like that, and, and takes on Apep three days out of four. Mm -hmm. And brags that he's the only person that can. That is another fixture thing, is bragging mm. a lot. Yes. And yes. Seth, is, Seth is good for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And kind of um, another trickster thing that we haven't really talked about is being a bricolaire, sort of like a person who can kind of fix anything, and sort of like a pastiche person that just kind of pulls from different traditions and hmm. skill yeah. sets. and Kind of the god of foreigner ideas is there, but I don't see Seth as being someone that fixes anything. <laughs> but he kind of, tr like, he kind of tries to... He 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 always sort of tries to find the um the workaround. Okay. To even fertility. Mm. <laughs> oh dear. If you're wondering how to spell bricolaire, it'll be in our show notes. <laughs> Will it really? Because I had to look it up. <laughs> but this goes back to was this intentional or was this a prank gone wrong? 
it, this was such an elaborate setup, like with the, he built the coffin to a specific size and he's like, everyone get in, try this thing. It was so elaborate and so well thought out. It couldn't have been an accident. And he's a fiction. Like, what is the point of questioning whether something was an accident or not when it's a narrative device? Oh, I see your point. But, well, that that even makes it like it couldn't have been an accident because it's a narrative device to define what happened. Therefore, it had to have been intentional. However, trickster is going to trick, right? I mean, the outcome doesn't really matter because it's all part of the... It's all about the trick. No. Oh, yeah. No. Don't, the consequences are, are hazy at best. The trickster works towards the ultimate benefit of society. Mm. Mm. Like, he wouldn't have done this if it hadn't worked out towards the end result of civilization as a whole. But I don't, I don't think he intentionally worked towards the betterment of society as a whole. I think he's, it's... He's a it's, fiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike everything, this is the one person, god, demon, entity we've talked about who's fiction. Everybody else has been 100% real. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I think, again, it's sort of, it's very kind of like, it's a cartoon, like Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, right? So, like, the script says they do these things, the there's there's no actual intention in any of it it's just like there's this path that i have to, i have to do these things because it is my role and i'm the i'm the i'm the i'm the bad guy or i'm the chaotic guy i'm the trickster so i have to trick and kill osiris and then the cycle just keeps continuing we're probably saying the same thing i think yes i agree <laughs> But I don't think he did it for the betterment of, like, I don't think there was intentionality. I think it was like, I don't like Osiris. He may or may not have slept with my wife. He's getting more attention than I am. He's probably, he's getting, you know, like, he he gets more action than I do. If we're comparing Set to Wile E. Coyote. Which we are. Which we are. Wile E. Coyote was a character who was given a specific series of actions like he had kind of a set of rules which he had to follow he always did this he always did this he never did this but the end purpose of all of his action was the entertainment of society right <laughs> but did, did he know that every episode <laughs> was specifically designed to entertain right but I, okay so now we need to make like an existentialist wily e. coyote where the you know the wall a wall falls down you know one of the walls that that he has painted a big door on and behind it is all of the machinery that is moving his world issue seven of the animal man comic book does exactly this (laughs) oh really yes (laughs) uh wiley coyote's analog character goes up to meet the animators to like speak about the chaos and harm that's befitting is that's befall in his world and they send him back into the real world where he's where he suffers endlessly <laughs> oh so i can't kind of feel like that yeah there's this sort of loop and but wiley wiley coyote doesn't he's not aware of bringing enjoyment to to, to generations hmm. and, he, and the roadrunner also isn't aware of his role in this he's just running his little yeah. roads all he does is run 
Meet me. Why does this run and go beep beep and point at things? And I don't know. I don't even know where to go from this. <laughs> I was going to try and get the ball eventually, but. Do we want to talk about Seth's day in the sun when he was a legit god? Uh, yeah, I think we're getting there. Okay. So on the subject of bad sex stories and gods of bragging uh, and, <laughs> and such, Baal, Baal, Mm-hmm. had a lot of tie-ins with set actually the good set they were they were kind of free associated during some of the later egyptian stories and such ball was kind of a big boastful storm god may have slept with a cow Who uh, hasn't i yeah Me. yeah he was a god of fertility floods and storms and importantly conquers lotan the sea dragon so oh. he does overthrow an unruly chaos beast. He might overthrow Yam, which is either a sea dragon or just a yam. I'm not really like clear. Like a potato? Like potato yeah. yam? Yeah, but probably Tuber? not. Yeah, no, I think it's actually a sea dragon. Or maybe a, yam, a, a potato dragon. I don't know. A, a sentient tuber? They're very similar. Mm-hmm. One of the bigger uh, Baal stories is that he's holding a feast for the gods and has to invite Mott. Uh, we, we, our we, favorite word. Yeah, creepy Uncle Mott. Um, <laughs> and he, he doesn't want to, but this brings death into the world of the gods. And to get away from this situation, he creates a decoy uh, by sleep <laughs> by sleeping with a, a cow and dressing the weird god-calf hybrid in his clothes and then feeding this to Mott. Well, that's kind of a playing the long game, right? Like It is complicated, yeah. <laughs> And then there's a very big battle sequence, and it only ends when Baal gets the most votes. <laughs> now, you do remember that Set is the favorite of the sun god, and I'm pretty sure that Baal is the child of, well, there, everybody has so many different birth stories and things like that, but the, he, he's got a big name. So Baal uh, became kind of merged with the Seth legends in like the year 2000-ish or so. Okay. So, around about 2000, we touched on this a few episodes ago, there was a pretty big meltdown in Egyptian society as Pepitu uh, died, and there was a period of famine and disease and plagues of whatever. Uh, This actually kind of feeds into the narrative of biblical plague sometimes as this huge regime-ending series of disasters. Uh, And then, a little after that, the monarchy kind of didn't work so well for a time. And there was a group of Assyrians, Canaanites, that started as settlers and then kind of just took over because they were doing a better job of managing than the throne was. There's different variations of that story, and some involve more or less blood, but it sounds like they just sort of ended up being like a reign of like six kings in the 1800 BC-ish period. These were the Hiskos people, and that mm-hmm. word means like shepherds or foreigners or something like that. So Seth and his role as the ambassador to the foreign people god kind of, they ended up in his envelope. And then they looked at Seth, these were Balhadad cultists, and said, hey, there's a strong bragging guy that's overthrown a yam. Let's <laughs> adopt him. And so they said, we're Baal cultists, but... We think we're going to be Seth cultists now because they're pretty much the same entity. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tomato, tomato. Like one of the, yeah, one of the last of the Hiskos kings named himself Apophis. So he was really into this this legend. And Seth really just kind of had this glory day period of being the god of 
the this this dynasty. Mm-hmm. It just didn't go very well for him. So was this also the same time where he was seen as the god you would pray to for intercession for your deceased, like you would, because there was a period also where he was that guy. I know he's earlier. I know he's seen as a god of the dead mm-hmm. sometimes, but I I wonder if like there's ever a period where this wasn't the case, or whether it was just like this region had this story about him. Because there's so much hodge and podge in these stories that it's hard to say you know what's quote true unquote or not. So I don't I don't know, but definitely this was a period. I mean, Seth has never really been entirely out of favor. Like, there are pharaohs that use his name occasionally. He just kind of got demonized by mainstream Egypt for a while, possibly as a side effect of this period of Hiskos rule. Yeah, Seth got demonized when outside influences took over mainstream ideology. He got conquered. More or less. Yeah. Conquered is a, is a pretty strong word. But there was about 150 years of largely Central Egypt being governed by these Hiskos people. And after that, they kind of got drubbed out. I think they were politically exiled. Uh, and there's a lot of stories of massive wars, but there's no building damage to back it up. And there's a story of 240,000 Hiskos leaving Egypt to wander the desert and Libya, but that's not really historically backed up as well because there's also Hiskos art and things like that, and their technologies stay in the area for quite some time. One of the most interesting things about the story, though, is this is a period where a Semitic people were exiled. And this is quite possibly the foundation story for Exodus, which doesn't happen for another, like, thousand years or so. Mm. Right. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, well, not only the exile, but also the Gospels, in the, in the Gospels when Jesus is tempted by Satan in the desert, there's also a connection there because of his Seth's association with the desert. So there's kind of, again, one of those little conflation of desert god with satan yeah i I tried to find like direct connections and i don't think that's even possible because a lot of this mythology well this story happened in like 1800 bc and a lot of the myths and things like that were building over the course of from like 2000 to 1000 bc this predates the hebrew people by you know a few hundred years at least so their story doesn't really start until like 800-ish or so. So saying, you know, what's in the air, what what feeds into their cultural myths when this culture hasn't even been invented mm. yet meaningfully, um, they haven't developed Yahwehism at this point. Uh, some historians have said that Yahweh developed in, in an area with Egyptian trade. So I don't think it's possible to say Seth as the god of the desert and the anti-order god doesn't feed into Yahweh versus Azazel years later, where the god of the people does battle with, is paired off against the force of the desert, the whispering voice of the desert. Mm-hmm. So I think that from Mesopotamia onwards, the desert is the other, and the desert is, mm-hmm. is bad and dark. After the contendings, there's this idea of the division of the world that sort of happens between Horus and Seth. Set is given the desert. And I think there's a motif of like the partitioning of the world that also Yahweh is given the Jewish people and things like that. This is a, an idea that happens later on as well. I think this is also, I mean, there's a, there's a moment where like Seth moves from being just a 
trickster figure to being this kind of divine deceiver where he actually is acting um, as a deceiver of humans Hmm. and he's responsible for their suffering in a world that should have been a paradise but is now a place full of, of darkness and danger. I don't know. I mean, I can I can imagine that because it seems like the magic of Egyptian religion kind of turns a little bit darker and sourer as the monarchy and the pharaoh loses its control over the idea of divinity. And like later on, you get more curses. And later on, Seth definitely does become murderous. He doesn't just kill Osiris, but like plans it out and uses his, his army to keep him in a box or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then it maybe become you know, that sort of intentionality is what puts him into the evil category rather than just the sort of chaos, chaotic, neutral trickster figure. And maybe this is actually how his myth evolved. One kind of gets the sense that it was going that way, and then since he was associated with Typhon by Plutarch, then there might have been a drive to see him as like an anti-god character, like mm-hmm. the ul- the ultimate baddie. If Plutarch decides he's you know one of the titans that overthrew Zeus and is the father of a huge range of monsters, and I do like that this actually, in some sense, makes Set Cerberus's father. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he, he gets typecast by the Greeks, who are used to this kind of very epic good versus evil story. Mm-hmm. And, and while he seems to be demonized by mainstream Egypt, because, and as well, mainstream Egypt really liked the Greeks. They were popular. Uh, outside of kind of the core, he still is the god of strength and the god of loyal opposition and someone who's called on when you need something blown up. And the guy who rides on the bark and slays the serpent. Right. That Seth exists at the same time as the murder of Osiris. And in that story, he and Horus are like linking elbows and saying, you know, we are going to do a musical number here as we fight Apep together. Mm. So he's never entirely a bad guy. But I think that the lens that we've received him in really wants him to be a bad guy. It's kind of like he is, yeah, he's, he is the necessary evil. Like, he's, you know, the ACDC song Dirty Deeds Done <laughs> is about Seth. <laughs> like, hey, you know, you think I'm this terrible, terrible guy, but, you know, like, you keep calling me to do this stuff, you know? Maybe a good comparison point is the earliest images of Satan, where... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Satan was not the bad guy. Yeah, he did some right. horrible things to Lot, but he did it with God's permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, Satan's myth is tied to the angel that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the avenging, you know, arrow plague thing that ran at the right side of El. He's the bound destructive force that serves the throne. Mm-hmm. And Set has a lot of that going on, particularly when he's serving on the barge of Ra. Yeah, and he's uh, yeah, and he's 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 a favorite son, you know. Yeah, he's just a, a fallen or rebellious god. But when your father's Ra, how do you rebel? I mean, <laughs> you got to go pretty far there. It's true. Yeah, but no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, loyal opposition. You know, having a a loyal, loyal army, our army, army yeah. to do your bidding. The idea of the devil as the devil is 
that that hasn't come around yet. You know, that's like 300 BC and onwards, if if even then. Mm-hmm. So there's a place for chaos that serves a useful function in the divine order. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you need it. I mean, you have to have a balance. Like, you can't have order without disorder. Mm. Yeah, particularly in a very binary, dualistic universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how the story ends. How the story ends. This is how the story ends. How does the story end? Well... So you know you know about Anubis. You know who Anubis is. I know of him. He's <laughs> I have heard of him once or twice. <laughs> you have heard tell of, of Anubis, but uh so Anubis may or may not be Seth's, Seth's son. son, yeah. Um he could also be Osiris's son. It's unclear. But he's he's the, the, the jackal-headed god who is the psychopomp for the Egyptian afterlife mm-hmm. and the god of mummification. And he also is the critter that weighs your heart when you go to the hall of the two truths. And if you're deemed worthy, he, ca- he takes you down into to the underworld. And if you are deemed unworthy, then Amit gets to eat your soul. It happens. It happens. So, but importantly, many times when I was researching Anubis, I read that there are no myths about Anubis, perhaps because he is too busy taking care of souls in the afterlife and weighing hearts. So he never got to go and do anything. But he actually did something very, very important. And that was when he killed Seth. Oh. What? I feel a little betrayed because I like Seth. Well, you're going to like Anubis by the end of this. I promise. And nobody ever really dies here. So, but, That's um, true. It's just, you know, killing is just another chapter. So as part of his, uh, you know, funer- funerary um, responsibilities, he was charged with guarding the body of Osiris as um, Isis was trying to, like, you know, reconstitute him and figure out where the penis went. And um, I can I can help there. I know where the penis goes. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to cut that line. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to delete that one. See, this is like if we were to take. The voice of the mummy and join it with pin the tail on the donkey, <laughs> but with a penis, <laughs> I think we'd make tens of dollars. <laughs> so that's another, and we got to write up a business plan for that. So it could be the voice of the phallus. Um, it's like the vagina monologues, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. So anyway, so so Anubis was was, was charged with with watching Osiris's body, and so several times there's a series of again kind of wily e. coyote misadventures where Seth tries to steal Osiris's body. Um, most notably, he transformed himself into a leopard, and at this time uh, Anubis saw through this and stopped him, subdued Set, and he branded Set's skin with hot with a hot iron rod. And then he flayed Set and wore his skin as a warning against evildoers who would desecrate the tombs of the dead. Oh. So, 
This is this is the story of how the leopard got its spots. Oh, because he got burned. Hmm. Hmm. So we have one little uh, takeaway there. But also, priests who attended the dead then wore leopard skin in order to commemorate Anubis's victory over Set. Let's see. Also, Anubis, because of the leopard skin, was uh, associated with this uh, funerary object called the Emuet fetish, which is like a stuffed skin on a stick that is kind of draped artistically over a stick hmm. that you see in a lot of funerary art in ancient Egypt. But also, do you know why Anubis, why he is a jackal? Short fur is easy to keep clean. Why is he a jackal? Well, because wild dogs used to raid graves Mm. and eat the corpses. So in the principle of um, Samesies, the protector of the dead. The ancient occult principle. <laughs> the predators of the grave would himself be that thing. Okay. So, yeah. So that is why uh, he is a jackal. And also there's a story, you know, there's an assumption that the building of tombs and, you know, then the increase to, to pyramids was a way of, again, preventing wild dogs from eating corpses little bit of uh, Interesting. practicality in there as well. But also, uh, just like Seth is often kind of aligned with figures like Loki, Anubis is aligned with Hermes. And there's even a um, sort of a Greek amalgam of the two called Hermanubis. I was going to joke that. But that's exactly right. So uh, because he, again, is sort of this messenger figure of the the world of the living and the world of the dead oh my god he's cute he's adorable Hermanubis he's, he's got a little moon adorable. hat okay this is he has a little notes. hat <laughs> because he has an intimate knowledge of anatomy due to his association with embalming he's the patron of anesthesiology oh mm-hmm. and his priests uh were uh experts in Herbal healing. He does. Hermanubis has the caduceus, the little I, snaky sticky oh. thing. Oh, is that how you say it? Always got the caduceus. Is that is it? Is it? Is it? How do you say? I, it? Ooh, hmm, make me be wrong here. Because I always called it a caduceus. That could be wrong. The little like doctor snake yeah, thing. Yeah, the doctor it's, snake. It's both. It's both. It could be both. Yeah. Caduceus. What did you call I it? I said caduceus. Caduceus. Can you say us like Doctor Zeus? Doctor Zeus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but it's Greek, so it's it's caducius because it's a hard caducation. So, uh, neither of us is right. Yes. All, both of us are right, and neither of us is right. Hmm. Mm. Neat. Oh, also, <laughs> sorry. I'm just full of fun facts about Anubis. Um. So he, one of the reasons why mummified bodies or embalmed bodies are embalmed with sweet smelling oils and herbs is jackals jackals smell really nice well they may not themselves smell really nice but what are they really good at they may smell well okay 
So if you go to the grave smelling nice, Anubis will smell you and sense your purity and then take you gently by the paw. Oh, it's the odor of sanctity. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's a trope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just like, yeah, so, you know, saints smell sweet. Yeah, so so that's that's the, where the saying "smell you later" comes from. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that was sort of a a way of making sure that Anubis would would uh, treat you kindly. Um, Hiding the grave taint. And, yeah, and he's black not because of the not because the dogs were black, but because that's not only the color of the Nile, the soil of the Nile, but also the color of a corpse. Not only because of decomp- decomposition, but because of the mummification process, just like Osiris was often considered the black one because he was the first sort of, he was both. He was both green and black, as we have (laughs) (laughs) discovered. He could be both. He could be multicolored, but because of all the process, the process made a body Just like a corpse. Multicolored. Just like a corpse. So, oh, and also... um, (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Oh, no, this is a good one. The Greeks were really dismissive of all of these silly animal gods. So they referred to Anubis as Barker. <laughs> oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's all you probably ever wanted to know about Anubis, except there also is a, a Cyrus-like story about him and his brother. I'm I'm going to stop us there, though, I think. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter or sharing us with your friends via one of those two lovely mediums or join us on Discord. Uh, The link is under the Say Hi link, which has a lot of our other social media links and such there. And we would love to hear from you. Yes, we would. Please. On on that strangely maudlin note, we'll see you in hell. (laughs) Yay! This podcast is copyright 2021 by The Dispatchist and its Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. Wait, what are we celebrating? Uh, uh, uh.